This is Doing Translational Research, a podcast from the Bronfenbrenner Center for Translational Research in the College of Human Ecology at Cornell University. Um, hi, this is Carl Pillemer from the Bronfenbrenner Center for Translational Research. I'd like to welcome you to another one of our podcasts on doing translational research. Uh, often we interview researchers who are doing work in real-world settings and trying to translate their research findings out into the real world. And we also like to talk with people who are interacting with researchers more from the practice side or from the outreach side. And uh, that is true of our guest today. I'm pleased to be talking with Andy Turner, who leads our New York State 4-H Youth Development Program, which is located in the Bronfenbrenner Center and is a part of Cornell Cooperative Extension. Uh, He's had extensive experience in Cooperative Extension leadership, He served for almost two decades as a county educator and an executive director, uh, and then came and now is leading the state's uh, 4-H youth development program. He recently completed his EDD at uh, the St. John Fisher College, and that's important because he's had experience doing research as well as interacting with researchers. Uh, So Andy, great to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Carl. Uh, You know, we'd like to begin just by asking, in however you'd like to share it with us, what the major themes of your work are, have been, or what you're doing now in the Bronfenbrenner Center, what its sort of outlines are. I think there's two, there are two main parts to it, and they've been sort of themes throughout my career, but now in the 4-H development position, I think I see them growing in sort of these two very major focuses of, of the work, and one would be the youth development piece. So how do we, how do we take the, the resources and expertise and the, the latest research and having to do with youth and what young people need to thrive and actually get that out into the, to the real world through our extension program? So that is a major component. So that's where we bring the, the educators, the practitioners out there in the communities and try to engage them with the university and create a, a, you know, a really robust youth program. And there's a lot going on there, a lot of changes. We'll, we'll talk more about that. But the, you know, the idea that youth development is in, in it of itself is a very interesting research area that I think sometimes people take it for granted. You know, youth programming is, is kind of basic. But there's more and more and more interesting things happening on the research end that we want to see integrated into what we're doing in 4-H. So there's that piece. The other piece would be, for me, continuing theme throughout my experience in extension is kind of the organizational change side of that. How do you actually take an organization like extension that's been around for a hundred plus years and sort of keep it engaged with society and what's changing and how we need to reflect that in our business practices and our educational programs and the kind of training we provide to the educators. So I think for me that those two things come together beautifully in this position because we really need to, be engaged in the research side, but we also have to think about sort of the leadership organizational side of that. How do you actually get these new things and new ideas integrated into an organization that can be, in some ways, if it's been around a long time, sometimes it's a challenge to sort of find ways to create new ways of doing business. So they come together beautifully for me in this role. Uh, that's great, and actually, that really does highlight actually the title of these podcasts: "Doing Translational Research and How We Do It." Uh, you know, even though it is perhaps the foremost uh, 
youth development program in the country, there might be listeners who aren't terribly familiar with what 4-H is. Could you tell us just in a word what the 4-H youth development program is nationally, what it's its yes. themes are, what it tries to do? I think the, the, one of the key things to know is that, in a sense, 4-H is the federal government's youth development program. So a lot of people are familiar with cooperative extension and the idea that we, we create a, a, an opportunity for research from the land-grant universities to be extended out into communities and into the real world. People often know it through the agricultural side of that. Um, but the youth part of that 4-H started you know, around the same time. And originally there was a heavy agricultural component to 4-H, but over the years as we've learned more about what youth need to thrive and, and uh, grow into competent, caring, contributing you know, adults, the 4-H program has expanded and grown and, uh, and works in a lot of different areas. So today the things we're doing in 4-H uh, are more in the area of STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. We do a lot of healthy living-focused programming and more and more and more kind of that civic engagement. How do we get our youth engaged and involved in their communities and what that means to their own pathway moving into college and careers. So it's changed a lot, but I think the key thing to know about 4-H is that it is connected to that land-grant university research base. Perhaps the most unique thing is we have the connection to the extension system so there are 4-H programs of various varieties throughout the entire country. Essentially, almost really, in every single county of the United States, there's something happening with 4-H. And basically, any youth program that's delivered by Cooperative Extension is a 4-H youth development program. So, you know, um, I think what, what I like to talk about now is how that program can adapt and change to shift and meet emerging needs of youth. So overall, it's still, as you said, it is the largest youth development program out of school in the United States, reaching approximately 6 million youth per year. Mm. Here in New York State, we're reaching about 200,000 youth across the state in all of the counties and all of the different parts of New York. Um, and I will, I will do a little quiz. I'd like to take a pause, ask our readers, so what are those four H's? Ask yourselves. All right, now tell us, what are the four H's? Head, heart, hands, and health. There we go. And I think that sort of guideposts for the program still can be found. Today we might sort of translate some of that in different ways. So for example, the research of Richard Lerner that has been so prominent in the last several years on positive youth development and his five C's, in many ways you can look at that, the, the caring, contributing, you know, competent, um, and then leading to the, the ability to actually contribute to the community. There's a lot of reflection in there of those four H's still. So mm -hmm. it's still very much a part of the program, but it's been able to, to adapt as we think about some of the newer research and youth development. You know, it actually seems a little before its time because it integrates actually sort of experiential things with um, emotion and feeling and with character development and, uh, uh, you know, with intellectual development. It makes a lot of sense. Um, let me ask, uh, so, you know, you and your staff are running um, a very large program. There are clubs at the county level. There are after-school programs. There are camps, very, um, you know, applied settings in which people are doing things. You know, in general, what do you see as the role of research? Or what, you know, how does research interact with a big, which really a thing that we might call a big direct services um, system? Is it necessary? How does it benefit what folks are doing in the field? I think it's a challenge. For me, the research part of 4-H has always been pretty clear and evident when you look at the programs themselves. So, for example, 
if we're doing animal science programming, let's say it's something in veterinary science, the curriculum, the 4-H curriculum you'll find is connected to the latest research and the, you know, the state of the science in veterinary or if it was uh, an engineering topic or an environmental science topic. So you've always had that strength of the program, that there's a research base in the, kind of in the curriculum, if you will. And I think that's continued. The piece that I think we're trying to find and figure out how to integrate it more in the practice out there is the positive youth development side. And I think that's where here at the state office and with our collaboration with the Bronfenbrenner Center and now the, the PRIDE initiative, the program for research and youth development and engagement that's emerged here, we see an opportunity to build that more in. So it's easy if you're a practitioner to focus on what you're delivering, that content. But what we're trying to help them learn and think about more is that you can be doing the positive youth development work that we find is so important for young people, whether it's a veterinary science program, whether it's a rocket program, you know, whether it's a computer science-based program. And so how do you do that so that that 4-H, what we're calling the learning experience, what we want youth to experience in a 4-H program, whether it's a camp or a community-based 4-H club or an after-school, reflects those positive youth development principles and then the delivery method of that, the actual topic, I think, is important, but it's not as important, really, ultimately, as the process. And so that's where I think the, the integration needs to, to happen more. Yeah, I think that's great. And you mentioned PRIDE, which is a new initiative to bring uh, a research base more closely connected to the 4-H program here and to try to serve as a model for how we can get academic researchers to see 4-H as a place to do research and to work with. And, you know, um, and I've sat with you because you're, you're part of our center uh, around the table with researchers and 4-H folks. And I'm curious, people talk sometimes about it, two cultures, that you have research over here with its own demands and needs and researchers as part of that, um, and then people actually working in the real world um, do you sense those two cultures, or are there anything you know you've seen about how they operate differently, or you know um, ways to bring them together? That's a great question. I, I definitely do see them and, and perceive them, and I guess I'm fortunate in some ways that I, to some extent, I have a foot in both of those worlds, and I see the value in both places and how and the challenges that are you know sort of working towards making it a little bit challenging at times to bring them together, integrate them as much as we would want to. But I think that it can be done. What I, what I think is really positive is I see for perhaps more than I've, than I've noticed for a number of years in extension, particularly in 4-H right now, there seems to be a real desire on both sides. And I think that's the key is that there's an interest. You know, you look at what, um, what practitioners in nonprofit settings and human development and youth development, what do they look for in terms of what makes them satisfied in their work? And one of the things that that research often shows is it's not necessarily the financial reward. It's a lot about we know our program is having a positive impact. And I think I, I see a hunger for that in the 4-H educators. They they feel good about what they're doing. They have a sense that it's working. But there's not a lot of evaluation or research around exactly why is it working, what's working better than than something else. And we we don't have a lot of that in 4-H, and the opportunity to have researchers start to really dig into that, I think, and create those partnerships and answer some of those questions and raise new questions that the practitioners can then implement. I really feel like right now, 
you know, there's a real interest in both both sides of that equation to move that conversation forward. You know, I've felt exactly the same thing. People sometimes think that folks more in practice settings are going to be hostile or unwelcoming, and I find the same thing. That They really want to know the things that research can offer them. You know, uh, this could take us a whole nother podcast, but but you mentioned research you'd been doing. You know, you recently completed a doctorate, so you you now you really have a foot in both camps. C- can you say a word of what you know uh, of what that was about, or one interesting thing from it? Certainly, my um, part of my whole career has been how do you create change in organizations, and how do you how do you help people move forward and adopt new approaches, and so I. I studied innovation. I took the concept of disruptive innovation from more from the private sector that Clayton Christensen developed, um, looking at Silicon Valley and how innovation was changing the, the industry in incredible ways. And I tried to apply that to the nonprofit setting of cooperative extension. So we identified some educators out there working in extension who are have created programs that, that fit a lot of those characteristics of a disruptive type innovation, something that actually has the potential to be a game changer within that industry. So what I try to do is figure out, well, what's going on with these folks? How do the, because sometimes we don't think of organizations like Cooperative Extension as super innovative or super flexible, but there are people within that structure who seem to have found a way to do that. So I wanted to figure out what was going on there and found some interesting things that I'm really anxious to share with, with Extension folks. And I think there's some real lessons in there for those of us in kind of leadership roles trying to move the program forward. We need to be able to identify those innovators, provide them with the kind of space they need to continue. And sometimes that really comes down to the the ability to take some risks and not be afraid of making a few mistakes here and there, because often that's where the new ideas seem to emerge. And I think sometimes we're a little bit restrictive in that that way. So I think um, it's helped me to think more about how you, what you do in that leadership role when you're in it to try to foster that kind of creativity and thinking about new ideas. And what I've really come to realize often is that I think it has to do with individual growth. We often look at organizational change and we're going to do some major move at the top that's going to change everything. And more and more the research seems to indicate that like a lot of things in human development, people change first. That's where the change starts. And then as people grow and evolve in their thinking, organizations start to reflect that. So I'm really applying that principle or trying to to the 4-H work. You know, that makes so much sense for me because, you know, as uh, psychological studies have found that it's not really so much that people change their attitudes and then their behaviors. They often start to do something different and then their attitudes change. So it seems like that's a great thing organizationally. Mm Um, well, let me ask you, Go. we like to ask uh, our interviewees a couple of things that, that are along the same lines. Um, and one of those is uh, thinking about both your research um, activities and your uh, administrative activities. We would like to ask you, so based on all this, if there's one real world change, mm-hmm. perhaps based on research that you would like to see happen, does something come to mind? Yeah, I think one thing, it's definitely a big thing, but it, one thing that comes to mind is uh, perhaps we, uh, if I could encourage people to think about what we're doing with youth development and how we're preparing youth for, you know, moving through the world totally differently. And can we really take a, a really strong look at that? And, you know, it seems to me that right now it's so much based on kind of the, uh, you know, the academic side only in terms of 
how do we get youth to achieve certain results and uh, testing so that we're competitive with the rest of the world. And it feels to me like it's gotten kind of out of balance there. So I would, I would encourage, you know, society to, to take another look and think about, are we, have we gone so far in that direction that we've lost some of the elements we need to, to create thriving, happy, you know, well-adjusted young people who can then succeed in various ways as they move forward. So it seems to me like that equation has gotten extremely out of balance and we're just not sure how to put a stop to it, kind of step back and, and think about it in a different way. And when I look at the positive things that the 4-H program does do for youth, it's more on that other side of the equation. It's, you, you tend to see that they're, they tend to be very happy when they're you know, in 4-H. And that should be a sign for us that if young people are not happy or, overly, or acting overly stressed with a lot of anxiety, that's not normal. That's not healthy. So I think we need to be willing to look at what we're doing with our youth development systems and think about some changes. Well, and that leads to so many interesting research hypotheses and hypotheses and places that researchers could enter in. You know, one side is uh, right. What makes these experiences so positive? You know, you are pulling kids away from the video screen and other kinds of things and getting them involved in other sorts of activities. Uh, they're social, you know, they involve leadership. So it seems like actually studying what it is about 4-H that leads to positive youth development instead of the intensive focus on everything that's wrong. Uh, it, it would seem to me a good sort of laboratory for those kinds of studies. Yeah, I think it actually some of the principles of 4-H and other youth organizations could be applied more to what we think of as the more formal system of, of youth education and formal school setting. I think that that would be something that would be really interesting to look at. How do we pull some of these things that seem to work so well and have really positive outcomes for youth in some of these less formal programs and think about how can we integrate more of that into the K more formal K-12 educational system? And I think we'd actually end up in a better place if we did that, if we looked at that. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, and that's a whole other kind of research translation. Well, unfortunately, our time is up. I'd like to thank you, Andy, for joining us and hope perhaps you'll join us again. Thank you, Carl. I'd love to. And thank all of you for joining us in our series of podcasts on doing translational research. Uh, we've been talking with Andy Turner today of the 4-H Youth Development Program in New York State, and we hope you'll join us for the next in this series. Thanks a lot. For more information about translational research or the work of the Bronfenbrenner Center, please visit www.bctr.cornell.edu.